talking tonight about redemption. So when I crawled into my first fellowship, I was overwhelmed with my own darkness. And uh, I wasn't really looking for Christianity, but I was looking for some deliverance. Psalm 107 verse 10, it says, some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and they despised the counsel of the Most High. And this was me. And I think this is generally all mankind's problem is that mankind has this bad habit of rebelling against the words of God and despising the counsel of the Most High. In verse 12, it says, so he subjected them to bitter labor and they stumbled and there was no one to help. And these are the consequences for such rebellion. This notion that God's judgment is held in abeyance to the last days is is just not true. There are consequences for sin, and that is God's judgment. In verse 13, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. So you see that you have there the two sides of God's nature. You have his judgment, and you have his love and compassion. And both of these attributes of God are equally God, and we can't dismiss the part that we don't like. In verse 14, it says, He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. And I think this is this is the madness of fallen man, that, that fallen man has to wait until he gets to the end of his rope, until he calls to God. He's standing on the very precipice of his own destruction, just like the prodigal son. In verse 20 it says, He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. In the King James, it says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And that was that was the verse that really caught my heart 37 years ago. And this is in my heart what redemption is. Redemption is a term that we frequently hear in Christian circles, but we know that redemption is what God accomplished through his son, who is our redeemer, Jesus Christ. And it's when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. For those of us who have been called upon or who have called upon the blessed name of Jesus Christ, We have had our lives purchased by the most costliest of sacrifices. And yet many of us live lives of little difference from those who live in the world, the unredeemed. And why is this? 
It seems to me that if a Christian really understands redemption, I mean, really understands it, and this can't just be an intellectual thing, it's a hard thing. To understand redemption means that his or her life is very different from the way it used to be. Redemption contains two main aspects. First, it's the repurchase of captured goods or prisoners. This is the definition. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things from the possession and power of a captor by the payment of an equivalent, ransom, release, as the redemption of prisoners taken in war. We use this idea when we talk about uh, victims of kidnapping, somebody who's been kidnapped, and you pay a ransom for them. Uh, the second meaning of redemption is deliverance from bondage, from distress, or from liability of any evil or forfeiture, either by money, labor, or other means. So you have these two main concepts. You have this idea of paying a ransom to redeem somebody back, and then you have this deliverance from uh, the consequences of sin, bondage, distress. So in Christianity, as I mentioned, redemption is the payment, the payment of this ransom, this deliverance of the sinner from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And redemption is the central theme of Christianity. Jesus Christ is the ransom that was paid. Redemption is the heart of God's deliverance and his salvation. Now, we talk about redemption, even in secular circles, there's this idea of a redemptive theme. Uh, you see this a lot in secular literature. It's got this archetypal sense to it that, you know, all humans and all cultures recognize this familiar theme, that you have a flawed, tragic hero, self-destructive, hopeless, but in the end, after much struggling and much loss, that person is redeemed. He's brought back. His life is given value. And we find this especially in God's word. And so we're going to look at it right now. Go to Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit about Jonah. So the book of Jonah, as you all probably know, is a story about a man. He's a prophet. And he is commanded to go to the Assyrians and proclaim the name of Yahweh. And Jonah had other ideas. And so Jonah rebelled against God's will. Jonah was wayward, much like the prodigal son, who thought his way was better than his father's way. And this happens whenever a man or a woman chooses to sin rather than to obey God. So as a consequence, Jonah was swallowed by the fish. So look in Jonah chapter 2 and look in verse 1. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to God, the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I thought that was a an interesting line, a beautiful line, that people who want to hold on to their sin and hold on to their idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Verse 9, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. So here was Jonah in the middle of his crisis, and he was calling upon God. And God rescued, rescued him from the depths of the grave. This passage harkens forward, of course, to the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. So redemption the idea of redemption and deliverance and salvation, the three of them go hand in hand. And when we talk about redemption, we're not just talking about the one-time deal that we get eternal life, but it's the redemption that goes along with the renewed mind, that we walk in deliverance as we put on the mind of Christ. We are delivered from death every day. Turn to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103. And look at verse 2. It says, Praise, praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see, God doesn't just rescue us and toss us over as a scolded child. God renews us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. God brings us from darkness to light. He brings us from death to life. We were destitute. We were abandoned, broken, valueless. We were crawling into fellowship like I was. And God gives us wholeness and worthiness and value. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. This is a verse that many of us are familiar with. Look in verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this talks about God's inescapable judgment. And this is due to the sin of Adam. Now, I was talking about this in my fellowship. There are many Christians who don't believe in original sin. And for a while there, I was kind of, you know, flirting with that idea as well. But I don't see how you can get to that conclusion when you have a verse like Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was a debt that had to be paid. A debt was owed. Humanity as a race was fallen. And because we were fallen, we had become the property of the God of this world, Satan. And he had absconded with humanity due to Adam's sin. Either we are required to pay the debt, or there is someone else who is willing to pay the debt for us in substitution, and that would be Jesus Christ. The word unredeemed is a word that we use to describe this fallen race of mankind. Mankind without God and without hope in this world. Now turn to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. And look at verse 5. Psalm 49.5. It says, Why should I fear when evil days come, when the wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No man can redeem the life of another. 
or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That no man. So when it talks about here, no man is talking about no man of the fallen race of man. All right. And that's important because a man did redeem us, but it wasn't of this fallen race of Adam. The ransom is just too costly and no payment is ever enough. It says in verse 10, all can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. So these are talking about the great men. These great men, they had lands named after them in their lifetimes. And then when they died, they were relegated to these small plots of land, their grave. You know, recently I've been reading about Genghis Khan. And when he had finished conquering back in the 1200s, he had conquered over 9 million square miles of land. But when he died, just like anybody else, his home was that plot of earth that he inhabited. So instead of eternal life, these people are consigned to eternal death. Now notice in this section also that there is no mention of hell. It's the grave. Their eternal home is the grave. Look in verse 12. It says, But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Selah. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave, and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Selah. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him. When he dies, his splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed. Men praise you when you prosper. He will join the generations of his fathers who will never see the light of life. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beast that perishes. And you think about the true tragedy of life. I mean, I think about people who go through their lives and they are sometimes just uh, wretchedly poor, but they have God. They have God. And with God, they are wealthy. They're wealthy. Uh, Go to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1. The rich man and the poor man in the grave are the same, it says in Ecclesiastes, that there is no difference. We look at these um, entrepreneurs, these corporate heads of Starbucks and Amazon and what else, any of the big businesses, and uh, we, we just go, man, that's amazing that somebody could have all that money. It's not that amazing when you understand the Bible. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, look in verse 10. It says, And we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. 
and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You want to talk about wealth? You want to talk about riches and blessings? That's it. That's it right there. Verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, we've been rescued out of the dominion of darkness, and we've been translated into the kingdom of God's Son. Ephesians sounds a lot like this. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding. So, uh, you know, you can have your money. (laughs) You can have your big corporations. That's fine, because there's going to be a day where all that ends. And you're given that little plot of ground, that tomb, and that's going to be yours for eternity. We have so much more. So biblically, for the Christian, Jesus is our Redeemer. But he was the Redeemer of Israel first. That's why when we read in Scripture, in Romans, it talks about to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. This idea was is that Jesus was the Redeemer to Israel first. Now go to Revelation chapter 5. See, redemption is in the very heart of God, and he sent his son to redeem us. And so Revelation chapter 5, look in verse 9, and it says, And they sang a new song, talking about Jesus. You are worthy to take up the scroll and to open his seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people. And nation. Isn't that awesome? And that was that was the heart of God since the beginning, since when he, he made his promises to Abraham. You know, the Jews became became very exclusive, the children of Israel. They became exclusive in their hearts and they thought that, you know, that God was playing favorites with them. They misunderstood this whole idea that God wanted to redeem all mankind. In verse 10, it says you made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So Christ's redemption isn't just for Israel. It's for all mankind. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter 1. You see, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart, 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 13. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Isn't that awesome? Set your hope fully on the grace. You know, think back to what we read earlier in in the uh in Psalm one oh seven where it talked about was it maybe it was another Psalm, but anyway, where it talked about how uh uh those it talked about the people who forfeited the grace that could have been theirs. And see, we we don't. We set our hearts and minds fully on the grace that was given us through Jesus Christ. It says in verse 14, as obedient children, not being conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, 
so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a God who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So what's the practical application of redemption, right? That you are redeemed. What's How do you walk that out? Well, we're talking about it right here. We're supposed to be strangers. Now, I was talking to my son the other day in fellowship. I said, what do you think this means? Strangers. And, uh, you know, I reminded him of, you know, Moses when he was in the land of Midian. He was a stranger in a strange land. And I said, you know, we could we could definitely, you know, uh, translate this into foreigner. Right. That we're supposed to live our lives as foreigners in reverent fear. Uh, you don't have to turn there. But Hebrews chapter 11, it talked about this this legacy of believers, this great legacy of faith. Right. And it says of these men and women that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Strangers and pilgrims. Strangers, of course, like I said, foreigners, pilgrims are travelers. Right. So they're foreigners and they're travelers. That's how we're supposed to be. Well, we live in this world, but we're not of this world that we're just passing through. So the redeemed of the Lord, the practical application, the walking this out means that we have been rescued from this world. And by definition, we are now strangers and travelers. And we have to take care that we don't allow ourselves to become once again immersed in the affairs of this life. Look in verse 18. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Isn't that something? And, you know, that was what I was looking for 37 years ago when I crawled into my first fellowship. I was looking for something. I knew my life was empty. And then I would look back and I'd look at my father's life and I look at my grandfather's life and their lives were empty, too. I mean, really, there were a lot of voids in those hearts. But the thing is, the question that we have to ask ourselves, and I think we need to do this regularly, is how precious is that sacrifice to me? How precious is Christ's blood to me when I'm being tempted with sin? How valuable is it to me personally that Christ died for my sins? Do I take this attitude that, well, you know, it's all grace, right? Grace means that I can sin, you know, I can count on God to you know, forgive me as soon as I ask for it. So basically Christ becomes a get out of jail free, you know, deal. And it's just that's just not it. We're missing the mark on that. You, you see that when we sin, we are in essence once again taking up our abode in this world. That we are not being strangers, you know, foreigners and travelers in this world. We're we're making our home here. In verse 20, it says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God, are in God. Go to Galatians chapter 3. 
<clears throat> Galatians 3. See, you just, I mean, you get to this point in your walk, I believe, where uh, you're, you're done with the world. I mean, you know, that Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ is really, truly precious to you. Galatians chapter 3, look in verse 10. It says, all who rely on observing the law are under the curse, as it is written, curses, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You know, there, there's just a whole class of people who, who love their religion, and they love the laws, and they love the rules. Verse 11, it says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Meaning, if you are going to try to redeem yourself by the law, you've got to do everything. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Whereas it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He who redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see, it's grace. It's grace. It's all grace. You know, uh, I just think that when a person uses grace to, you know, uh, you know, get themselves out of jail, you know, figuratively, but, you know, sin and then get forgiven and sin again and get forgiven, you know, they, they, they make light of what Jesus Christ did. But when we truly understand what Jesus Christ did for us and we understand the purpose of grace, the purpose of grace is, is that I can't do this thing on my own. There is no possible way that I by myself can redeem myself. The price is too costly. It's too costly. And Jesus Christ did it for me. We all now inherit the blessings of Abraham. Not through our own works, not through our own heredity, right? But through the precious blood of Christ. Christ is my redeemer. Go to Galatians chapter 4 and look at verse 3. It says, so also when you were children, you were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. See that? Sons. So we are sons of God. We've been given the spirit of God. It says in verse 6, Because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into your hearts. And the spirit who now calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known of God or by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And this is something we talk about in my fellowship quite a bit, that it's not just becoming a a star, but staying a star, that's the important thing. That, you know, with Christianity, there's a maintenance program, you know, that, that you've got to stay on top. And the way that we stay on top is by constantly being aware of what Christ did for us, the price he paid for us. And too many Christian churches today have been overrun 
by the spirit of this age. It's just tragic. I hear far too many Christians championing identity politics and postmodernism and socialism. And the truth is, these preachers and teachers who are teaching this stuff are, in truth, dispensing slavery from their pulpits. I was thinking about that song that we were playing before the teaching here by Lauren Daigle called Dry Bones. It says, uh, the lyrics go, Through the eyes of men it seems there's so much we have lost. As we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked, and one by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves. But we know that you are God. Yours is the victory. And we know there is more to come that we may not yet see. But with the faith you've given us, we'll step into the valley unafraid. As we call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. And we call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. Oh, we call out to dry bones, come alive. Isn't that awesome? Go to Titus chapter 2. Yeah, those lyrics, they get me. Titus chapter 2, and look in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior's glory, that should read, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify him for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. See, this is what needs to be preached from the pulpit. This is what the church ought to be representing to the world. And some of us are, many of us aren't. I tell you, I was very encouraged last Saturday uh, at the big Christian convention, whatever, downtown Washington, D.C. It was spectacular. I was very blessed to see the boldness of a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters who were standing up and and truly speaking truth to power right there in Washington, D.C. It was awesome. In verse 15, it says, These then are the things that you should teach, not identity politics. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. It's important. It's important. We need to be very bold in this day and time and, the, and especially in this country. It says we are, you know, we are supposed to walk out our redemption by living above ungodliness and worldly passions. We're supposed to live above the worldly doctrines. Go to First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians seven. Redemption. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We should act like it. First Corinthians chapter seven. Look in verse seventeen. It says, nevertheless, each one of us should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which the Lord has called him. This is a rule I laid down in all the churches. So Paul was saying, look, he was going around telling everybody, look, just don't be ungrateful that you don't want to be discontented in your lot of life. Your focus isn't supposed to be your upward mobility. Your focus needs to be on God. Verse 18, it says, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? 
He should not be circumcised. This is talking about, you know, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. What is something is keeping God's commands. That's what counts. That's what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, go ahead, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. Now listen to this, verse 23. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. You know, we live in a doggy dog world, and we get caught up in this nonsense where we're comparing ourselves with our neighbors. He has a better car than I have. I feel slighted. And this this thing that we get into, and we just need to withdraw from that whole thing. We are a, a purchased possession of God. We are set apart. We are a, a, just a different type of people. And we're not supposed to allow ourselves to become enslaved by these aspirations of mankind. Go to Romans chapter 14, Romans 14, and look at verse 7. It says, for none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, what does it say? We belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. There was a debt that had to be paid, and it was paid in full in Jesus Christ. And we have been purchased. Now, I'm always surprised at how infrequently I hear this teaching in Christian, in Christian teachings. We are not our own. We have been paid for. We've been bought. Look in verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down at your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account. So when I'm standing before the Lord, I'm a purchased possession. <laughs> Look in Romans chapter 3, Romans 3, and in verse 21, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. When we talk about equality in our culture, most of the time people are talking about, you know, economic equality or, you know, social equality or racial equality. That's not at all what God's interested in. He's talking about true equality, that we were all one sinners, and when you accept Christ, now you are saved. And, that, and we get the full Monty. There's nothing else. Verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God's justice has to be satisfied. It absolutely has to be satisfied. And it is satisfied in Christ. In Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 19. 
It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? What does it say now? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. So we read earlier that you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves to men. And here you were bought with a price. Honor God in your body. That whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. I think about that verse in in Luke chapter 9 where it says, you know, Jesus said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And that's it. That's it. It's a day-by-day thing that we wake up in the morning time, we pick up our cross, and we follow Christ. We follow Christ. And we're going to finish up here in Psalm 107 and the verse that I read to you earlier, verse 20. He sent forth his word and healed them, and he rescued them from the grave. Go to Psalm 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Anyway, that's my exhortation tonight for everybody is uh, first see that you're the redeemed of the Lord, that Jesus Christ laid down his life, his costly blood for you, and then go out and tell somebody how good God is. I am redeemed, you said me.
redeemed.